This is the last Sunday of our uh, summer remix series. I always love this. Have you guys enjoyed this series? You got to hear from some different voices, right? Some different pastors, a guest minister. Have you guys liked it at all? Okay, we'll never do it again, right? Ever again? Who liked Pastor Wilma last Sunday? Did you guys enjoy her? She is a force, right? I always enjoy her because she's always, uh, she is real. Uh, We're talking in the office before she came out, and we're talking about this church, and she's like, you know, I've never been to a church like Grace Church before, a church that actually wants to fill as many people who are different, different colors, ages, sizes, backgrounds, educations, incomes, and put them into a room. She said, I love it, but it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) And then she said, and if there's one just kind of special gifting this body has, it's honesty. She says, I've never been in a room where I felt so much freedom to be honest before. That's amazing. That's an amazing testament to who we are and the things God's doing. God's creating an atmosphere of, of honesty in this room, and I love it. And so since we're, we're talking about honesty, it's going to be a good segue for what uh, I'll be talking about this morning. Who here got saved, you said the sinner's prayer, because someone was talking to you about judgment? How about this? I'll phrase it to you like this. We're at youth camp, right? We've all just had dinner. We had a great game, and the worship was really loud and awesome, and it's hot because the AC doesn't work. And the youth pastor asked you this question. If you were to die today, if you got hit by a bus on the way home, do you know where you would be? Oh, and that just got you, didn't it? Bam! What are you going to do? If you go to sleep tonight and you don't wake up, where are you going to wake up? Do you know? Obviously, I'm terrible at this. It's not my gift. It's not my normal thing. I've never been good at this this, uh, angle, right? But you get the idea. So how many of you guys said the sinner's prayer, you came up to the altar call because you got scared? Anybody? It's not a terrible thing. It's not a bad thing. Wow. Over half the room, right? What do you picture when you were told about this, when you were told, hey, if you walk out the door and get hit by a bus, because those buses are everywhere, amen? They're everywhere, just taking people straight to heaven. Oh, I love it. If you get hit by that heaven-bound bus, okay, what is your picture in your mind of what happens next? Where do you go? What's the first thing you see when you open your eyes? What do you see? Anybody, holler it out. Fire? I was like, you have a lot of confidence in your ears. Light. I'm sorry. It just worked better for me to hear fire. That's perfect. So some of you would wake up and see fire. That's terrific. Or light. Anyone else? What? Oh, oh, blood. Did you say blood? That is intense. Amen. Hallelujah. Man, you guys are really cheery. <laughs> Wake up, see fire and blood. Woo, that bus is intense. Anyone else? What? Water. Ooh. Like a river. I, I, that's a great. Um, in youth groups that I was in, we had this, this picture that they'd put on the screen. What you'd see is like this pearly gates, correct, right? There's a gate, and there's a long line, right? It's like you're at like uh, Six Flags or Disney World, right? Like you're waiting to get into like the ultimate ride or not, right? And there's a long line, and so the image that we're all given, here's this long, crazy line, and at the front, there's, there's like an angel, obviously all white, with wings and blue eyes and blonde, amen? <laughs> we all like our angels blonde. Gotcha. And... <laughs> 
And of course, they have a big book, right? The Lamb's Book of Life, it would say. And they've got this, this pencil, right? Because I don't know what they're writing, but who knows? And it's a feathered ink pen. Amen. And on the other side of the gate is like a TV screen. This was the 90s and the 80s, okay? It was, it was important. And what was playing on the screen was a replay of the person's life. Apparently, we got a lot of time, right? We're going to wait. This is, this is the, like the worst line ever. We get to sit back and watch each person's life replay all however many years it was, right? And as this life plays on the screen, the angel would kind of take notes. And at the end of it, there would be a choice that's made. Did this person make it or not make it? Is, you, is the image in your mind anything like this? Anything, right? A lot of us made our way uh, into churches because of the idea of fear of judgment. And so I think that one of the questions about judgment is this. What is it that you're afraid of being judged for? Or even like this, what do you expect to be judged for? When you arrive on that street of gold, please note I'm being a little bit um, sarcastic. When you walk on the street of gold and there's clouds everywhere else and the light is shining on you and the pearly gates are right here, what are they going to judge you on? In the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about uh, the faith, about doubt, fear. I've read a lot of articles. I've seen a lot of posts on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. And if, if I were to kind of pull the ideas from these articles and these posts and tweets and things, it would sound like when you get to that pearly gate, they're going to ask you about your doctrines of faith. You know what a doctrine is? Fancy word for ideas, right? Your ideas about God. Imagine that. You walk up, they go, hey, stop for a second. We're going to, you thought this about God? You thought there was a trinity? Okay, that's good. You thought Jesus was fully man and fully God? Okay, that's good. Salvation by grace? Oh my goodness. And you all go, well, what are we even talking about? That's the point, right? What would it be like to actually be judged just on your ideas about God? What happens if someone's stupid? Have you ever met someone who's dumb? Please don't point or think or picture. <laughs> Does your lack of intelligence or your vast intelligence factor in at all? How about this? What if you were intelligent, but you were never taught to read? Does this factor in at all? What if you were born into the worst teaching church in the world? Does this factor at all? Oh, I hope not, right? What if you didn't get to go to Grace Church ever, right? What happens with all of these factors? Is, are you being judged by the ideas you hold about God? If you read a lot of the different teachers and pastors, that's what you would think. When you said the, the sinner's prayer, what were you praying? How did you guys get saved? You prayed what? Anybody? He said, you're sorry, right? You're sorry for all your what? All your boo-boos, right? You said sorry. When you were a teenager, what were those boo-boos when you were a teenager? Okay, don't. <laughs> don't. <I was> like, 
What were the things popping to your head when you said, I'm so sorry, God, I did this and this and this and this? And then after the sorries, after the I'm so sorry, I'm trying to be more emotional about it because I've got to make sure I cry or it's not real, right? What were the next things that you prayed to get saved? The odds are they took you to Romans, right? The Roman road. You guys have heard of the Roman road, right? That's awesome. There's a Roman road with like cobblestones that takes you to heaven. It's really exciting, right? And the Roman road to heaven would have you pray two things. One, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Father raised Him from the dead. And then you would pray a second thing, that Jesus is what? Lord. Now, I kind of want to switch gears just a little bit because we got to joke a little bit about this because this is kind of a heavy topic, right? Let's switch gears just a slight bit. Imagine that there really is a judgment coming for you. If you do step out and that bus does hit you, what do you really believe you're going to be judged for? Honestly, really, I mean deeply. How about this test? If I were to look at your life, your choices, your actions, what do your choices tell me that you're afraid you're going to be judged for? How about church attendance? Let's hope not. Amen? <laughs> I'm just joking. It was a great summer, right? We had a lot of rain, you know, so we had to get out when we could, right? <laughs> How about your tithe and offering? Got real quiet. <laughs> How about how many hours you've served in the church? Who really believes in this room? And again, I, I don't need hands. Do you really believe when you stand before the, the maker of all things that this God is going to judge you based on your doctrines? What if you grew up in a church where you got saved through baptism? Is that enough? Is that prayer you said when you were 16 or 15 or you had that really emotional moment, is that prayer what you're putting the rest of your existence on? Do you trust it that much? What do you really, in the deepest part of you, the most honest part, what do you actually believe that you will be judged on? I'd like that to sink in. We don't have enough time, but I wish it could just sink into where you could get there. Here's the truth. The truth is that most of us in this room will spend the majority of our lives not thinking about it. Amen? Come on, let's be honest. Why? It hurts. It's scary. It's too much. It's too much. If I were to actually tell you that here it is, here's what God, you know what? You literally could spend an eternity, 100 years, put 100 years, put 100 years with gasoline doused on you and a match, and you're going to just burn. Oh, it's awful. It's been five minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes. Thousand years, million years, no end. If I, if I really, if you believe that in the depths of your soul, you would spend every ounce, every second of your life scrapping to avoid that outcome. But we can't, it's too much. So what we do is this it's called survive. We survive. When something as weighty as that hits us and we can't handle it, we've got to find a way to run from it, right? Hide from it, evade it. We lock it away because we've got work to do, right? We've got the, the kids' practice to get to. We've got church to attend. We've got to 
do the things, we have to plan the vacation. We've got too much life to live to focus on that bigness and that fear and that being on fire. Can you imagine being on fire for five minutes? Anybody? Can you actually put yourself in it? No? Okay. Just thinking. How about a hundred years? How about a thousand years? Okay, forget that. Can you imagine me putting you in a room with no one or nothing for five minutes? Yeah. And I switch the light off, turn off the AC, a day, a week. How about that? You guys are not good at imagining. <laughs> you should be getting very uncomfortable. I was told whenever I was a young pastor, if I'm going to be a good pastor, I've got to be, I've got to be willing to give people the truth. Amen. Would you agree with that? I have to be willing to let people know the things to be afraid of and to be worried about. Would you like to know what you should be afraid of? Do you really want to know? I have two heads nodding in the entire room. All right, so for one Sunday, I'm going to be a good pastor. You ready? If you have your Bibles, go to the scariest passage in the entire Bible. Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Before I read this, depending on the church you went to, you were taught a lot of different ideas about judgment and salvation. If you grew up in a more uh, reformed setting, I don't even need to explain all that, but basically you were taught you're saved by grace alone. I mean, there's nothing you could possibly do to factor in. Either God has chosen you or not chosen you, period. And so, if you are actively sinning in your life, this is just proof that you are not chosen, that you're not part of it. God chose you to, to put you in clouds and to have a great time with you, the ultimate party for eternity. And if, you do, if, you, if your sin is all over you, then it's obvious He didn't choose you. He created you to, to be lit on fire for eternity. And there are a lot of verses that use for that. There's, there's some, some logic behind that kind of thinking. If you grew up in a more kind of a, how we say this, uh, a holiness church. You know what I mean when I say holiness church? What you eat, how you act, what you watch matters. Anybody? Anyone been to that church? If you ever have a beer, do not raise your hand. Did you ever watch a radar movie? You know who you are, correct? This is the idea that, yes, there's grace, but there's also works involved. You better stay in the favor of God through obedience. Yes, Jesus did work, but you better make sure you keep yourself in there. So you watch the haircut, you watch the clothing, you watch the food. You make sure you live a holy life unto God. And if you don't, what happens to you? Out. I, I, I love that. Out. Get him out. Get that kid out of here. Do you see his hair? Men don't have long hair. Get him out. Crew cuts only in heaven. Amen? <laughs> I really shouldn't joke this much. It's not good. Um, and what's interesting is that there are a lot of verses I could teach you this morning that would line up with that kind of understanding. There, is, there are reasons that there are large groups of Christians who believed all different things. There are verses I could teach you that would lead you there. But there's no passage in all the Scriptures that shakes me more to my core than the one I'm about to read to you this morning. Not all Scriptures are to be read 
at the same level as each other. They're, they're all valuable. They're all used by God. God inspired, right? But when Jesus comes, we see a reinterpretation. Often in the Gospels, when Jesus will, he will quote the prophets, the law, the, the other rabbis will argue with him. But that's not how we understand what Moses meant. Or when you say that about Elijah, that's not what they were saying. And Jesus is bringing a different interpretation, different bent on it. So the words of Jesus always take precedence. They always teach us how to understand the other Scriptures. And so if you want to read about judgment, if you actually care about this, if there's a part of you that has anxiety or fear about judgment and eternity and what will happen there, I would always start with the words of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is very important. He teaches a lot of different things. But I would always start with Jesus. And so while Paul spends a lot of time teaching us about the right understanding of God, that we should confess this and believe this and think this about God, I would start with Jesus to understand what Paul was saying. Are you ready to get a little bit nervous? Anybody ready? If you have to use the bathroom, go now. No. Matthew 25, verse 31. The parable of the sheeps. Uh, the sheep, the sheeps, <laughs> and, and the goats. Um, it's a great band in the 90s, had a, had a good song. Sheep go to heaven, and goats go to hell. I, I knew you'd know that one. And goats go to hell. That's pretty much the whole passage. Let's read it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will, will, will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. For I taught the Trinity, and you believed in the Trinity. For I taught once saved, always saved. You believed and once saved, always saved. For I gave you the sinner's prayer. Oh, wait, that's not in there, is it? Was anyone going to like holler at me? Heresy! That's not in the Bible! You, you guys are going to let me go, huh? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Wait, that's not an idea. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer. I want note that word, the righteous. Everyone who's supposed to be in right standing, these are supposed to be the people who get to put, be put on the right side of God. These are the ones who are already called righteous. You have the nations, which are the nations are always the powers that push against God. The elect, the chosen, the kingdom, the righteous are the ones who, who submit to God, right? The whole idea of Jesus as Lord. But the righteous are the ones who respond to Jesus. Lord, when did, you, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Pause there before I go on and read. Everyone who gets to the right side, everyone who gets the term righteous, the right standing, the ones who get included, 
use the, the modern church language. For everyone who gets saved, the response was, I didn't even know we were doing these things for you. You said we were supposed to do these things for you, but I didn't even notice that I did them. How did I make it on the right side of God? When did this stuff happen? If you truly have a fear of eternity, of judgment, of salvation, I want you to circle this, this verse right here. Verse 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, highlight that, underline that, whatever you did for the least of these, this is the test here. Come back to that in a quick second. And then he will say to those on the left, those who didn't make it, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Now remember, the fire is eternal, it doesn't, we'll talk about that some of the day. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. I kind of wish he asked them about the Lord's Prayer. All of you who prayed that Jesus is Lord, you go to this side. All of you who didn't respond to the altar call, this side. Come on now. All of you who tasted the waters of baptism over here. All of you who did not over here. All of you who took Eucharist over here. All of you who did not over here. I've just outlined the primary ways that churches have classified saved and unsaved the last 2,000 years. I just classified them in three groups right there for you. He doesn't attach any of those groups. Who's ever worked on a pool or, or has a pool? Anybody? Okay. Not many pools. Okay. That's a shame. <laughs> We've changed that. <laughs> now, when you are trying to add chemicals to a pool, right, the first thing you have to do is you have to figure out what is already in the water. Like what's lacking? What do we have too much of? It's really a headache, Colby, right? It's a headache to work on pools, right? Because you have to get the levels just right. So you have to find a way to test the water, see what's in the water. A response I would get from this verse is, well, you're talking about works, Pastor Devin. That's works. Sorry, we're saved by grace. Paul said it. Take that. This, this is a, this is a, how do we say this? This is not the test for God to see who is in, who's out. He's giving you a test for you to see what's in you and what's not in you. If you've ever re read the books of John, he has a constant theme in those books. Any of you who has love for your brother, the light of God, the love of God, God is in you. Any of you who does not have a love for the brother or sister next to you, guess what? God is not in you. Have you guys ever read John at all? Consistent theme, even in his gospel. If you want to know if you're saved or not, the litmus test, how do you, with the pools, you come out with these little, little cards, you stick them in the water, and you kind of flick them around, and you wait. And you pull it up, and it turns like little browns and slight oranges, and you're, oh, green, get me green, green, maybe. Okay, you guys haven't done that? Okay. This is not the, the test for you to get in or get out. 
This is the way that we learn on this end of eternity, whether God is in us or not. I want to explain something to you. When you allow God in you to move in you, to change you, transform you, it shows. The work of God, the, depending on the church you grew up in, there's all different words for it, but the way that you can tell the fruit of God in you. If, if, God, if the light of God is in me, if I'm actually someone who has received these ideas, this reality, haven't just said a prayer, haven't just thought about God, haven't just read a book or, or said a verse, if I've allowed God to go in me, then here are the things that are going to come out of me. Anyone ever read the book of Revelation before? Anyone? Was anyone like obsessed for it, with it for like a short period of time? Anybody? You read all sorts of really dumb books you shouldn't have read? Amen. If you have questions about Revelation, please come talk to one of the pastors. We will help you. <laughs> please don't read those books. Okay. <laughs> there is a theme in this book. The people who survive, the ones who are included in the work of God, the ones who make it in this book, there's a term we use for them. They are the faithful witnesses, those who endure. They're not the intelligent ones. They're not the smartest ones. They don't have the best doctrine. They're not the best church attenders. There is a measurement of this. There is a fruit that comes out of them. There's an action that comes out of them. While you might not be saved by your works, I'll tell you this, you can know quickly what's in you or not in you by your choices, your actions, and your life. You can tell quickly. This is the test. This is how you put that little thing in your heart and you shake it around. I can't help it. Who prayed to put Jesus in your heart? Who did it? Who locked him up in that little box? Anybody did it? Picture, here you go. It's like Pixie from Peter Pan, right? You stay there. If you want to find out if you locked up Jesus in your little heart, here's the test. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Jesus, uh, anyway, okay. He's, he has a body right now, by the way. It's a resurrected body. He's not in your heart. It's impossible. He has a physical body. He's not there. Amen. Hallelujah. But the Spirit of Christ can be in you. Amen. Okay. That's one of the series. Driving me crazy. Locking Jesus up. How dare you? He rose from the grave and you just lock him in your heart. Amen. Come on, you guys got to laugh at me more. I mean, I, these are not bad jokes. These are not bad. Oh, I can't help it. The test to see if it got in, did it stick? Did it go in there? This is the test. Has anyone ever worked with addicts before? Anybody? Loved ones? You worked in a ministry? Friends? Addicts can understand a lot of ideas. They can say a lot of things. They can tell you exactly what you want to hear. They can even walk things out in front of you. You can even watch them. The majority of their actions will look right in line with what they're supposed to be doing. They can walk the walk. They can talk the talk. They can, they can do all, jump through any hoop you want them to do. But is the change real? How do you see that? How do you measure that? How, do you, how can you tell? Is the change real on the inside? When you minister to addicts, it's a very difficult thing to figure out if they're just playing you, if they're playing a game, or if they've been changed. Every person in this room is an addict. 
to self-preservation, meaning to taking care of you. Even if you spend the majority of your life taking care of other people, if you took the Enneagram class, you've learned, even in that, you're taking care of yourself. You are an addict to playing whatever game you need to play to get what you need to do. Every single person in this room is this. So how do we know if it's gotten into us? How do we know if it's, if it's changed on the inside? How do we know this? How do we know if we're actually saved or not? I've been to the altar call a million times. In the church circles I grew up in, we used to, the altar call was the absolute most important thing of the service. If we flooded it and people were crying, we were like, success! Yes. And the worst experience ever being in the ministry was they would come up and there's tears and we're excited. Woo! And we're praying for people. And a week later, two weeks later, they're back in the same thing. If you grew up in a different type of church, you grew up in a church where we're, we'd take them through a million classes, teach them all the ideas, all the sermons, and they would nod and they'd fill out the papers, they'd read the books, and they'd go back to being the same. If you're a charismatic church, we would dance and get the tambourines out and the fire flags. Anybody? And we would leave the same. We'd be great for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month, but eventually it would just kind of taper off and we'd go back to normal. If you grew up in a different type of church, we'd dress up in our Sunday best, we'd smile and shake a hand, and everyone would look great. And then after church, we'd go home, put the suit up, we'd get back into our actual selves. Every church has a form of it. Have you guys ever been driving down the road and you're on your phone? Anybody? How about eating? Oh, no, no one would do that here. How about eating? Because that's completely fine, right? <laughs> Drive down the road and you're pulling one of those. When your knee slips off the steering wheel, what does the vehicle do for a split second? It begins to veer. And if you are very experienced, you learn to eat your burger close to the wheel. Because you always have a hand to counter, to get you going straight again. In our lives, we are creatures that when we take our hand off the wheel, we will always begin to veer back to what is most innate inside of us. Scriptures call it sin. There's all sorts of different words we use for it. But there's something inside of us that says, I have to take care of me first. If I don't plan my vacation, who will? How about you? you? If I don't take care of my work, and my, then who will? If I don't get what I need, then who's going to get it for me? And every time that you take your hand off the spiritual wheel, you will always veer back to this. Here's what Matthew is for you. Here's what the parable of the goats and the sheep are. This is how we recorrect. This is how when you let your life go back to normal, when you come off your spiritual high, when you have that one Sunday and the, the, the message was just for you, or you had this great experience and you're on that high, and all of a sudden when you begin to go back to normal and you begin to take your hand off the wheel and you begin to go back, veer. This is how we correct. This is how we stay the course. This is where our confidence in Christ comes from. Now, I want you to understand something. 
It is not the feeding the poor. It's not the taking care of those who are naked. It's not the taking care of those who have no home. It's not just the doing of the things that makes us safe. If you notice, every one of these types of doings is centered outside of you. What keeps us in the light of God, in the life of God, what keeps us safe, what keeps us knowing that we are connected to God, and if that, if that heaven-bound bus hits us tomorrow, I'm confident, not because of my theology or my vast knowledge of the Scriptures, because what you'll learn about the Bible is this, about anything, any area of knowledge, you will get to a point of learning things where you begin to know that you don't know very much. In any field whatsoever, you will get to a point where you realize, I know enough now to know that ah, there's so much I do not know. You will never be confident. You should never be confident because of your theology. You find confidence when you begin to center your life constantly, staying centered outside of your own needs. Yes, take care of yourself. We teach self-care here. We teach all sorts of things like that. But your life needs to be centered outside of yourself. I've done all sorts of thinking in the last few years on why I pastor, on why I chose to pastor. had a really interesting thought this last year. I was thinking about it. I asked myself, what if all these other different things failed in the ministry? Why would you still do it? If all these terrible things happen, why do you need to stay here? Because for me in my life, this is always auto-correcting me. When I, get, when, I go, when I get back to normal habits and I notice myself going back to take care of me or I'm focusing on myself and whatever that is, self-centeredness, self-preservation, whatever word you want to use, selfishness, this is an automatic recorrect for me. When that wheel slips, I bring it right back because I have to be around people and needs and problems bigger than mine. And I hear about a coworker who had a heart attack and died at a young age. It auto-corrects me. Whereas I can go hide in my cocoon of my own life and never be exposed to that. And every time I come in contact with a struggle that you're going through or a family member, I go to the hospital, I spend time with the Bells, and I, I, I sit down with Keith. All of my issues, which would make me veer, all of a sudden it auto-corrects me. It centers me on things that are bigger than me, things that matter that don't have to do with me. I don't know if you've ever been to a prison before, but you go spend time with someone in prison and it auto-corrects you. All the things in your life were so big, you go, perhaps it wasn't. I don't know if you ever spend time with someone who doesn't have a home anymore. When the flooding in Fort Smith happened, there were people who literally could not go home and go to sleep. You spend time with them. Auto-corrects you. So here's the thing. You are unable to walk out of this room holding on to what I'm preaching this morning. I know that. There's no one human being in this room who can walk out of here, hold on to this awareness. I'm going to be judged for eternity on how I care for everyone who is the least of these. You can't do it. It's too much weight. It's too much stress. You can't do that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you find a place to start. I'm not telling you to leave this place and to instantly find a way to get people who are naked clothes. I don't want you going to find naked people. It's not what I'm telling you. Come on, laugh. I'm not telling you to, to, to run out to find people who are hungry and to give them food. 
to run out to find people who have no house and to give them a house, people who are in prison to go hang out with them. I'm not telling you to do all that right now. I want to give you a place to start, a place that's going to auto-correct you. Start with this. When you think of the least of these, meaning when you think about people who are suffering, what is the first group that pops to your mind? Do you think about people who are starving, who are hungry, who have no food? Is that the first place that your mind or heart goes? Do you think about people who are in prison? Is that the first place? I want you to find where does your compassion first jump to? The odds are it's going to go into the place that you've experienced the most. For me, special needs is always a place that my heart jumps to. I, I understand what people who go through that suffer. And so for the first group I think about, okay, how can I help these people? How can I be with these people? So the first thing I want you to do, I want, I want you to find your compassion. What is the first group of the people who are suffering that my mind or my heart goes to? Homeless? People who have lost their children. It's the people who are fighting cancer. It's the immigrants. Who is it that my heart first jumps to? Find your compassion. The second thing I want you to find. Find your proximity. It's a fancy word for saying what's close to you. Find a group of people you're passionate about, special needs, or even just children maybe. Maybe foster kids. Children with no family, with no home. Maybe it's sex trafficking victims. Find your compassion. And the next thing we're going to do, find where those people are close to you. I guarantee you, every one of these groups are right around you. Every one of these groups are right around you. And then I want you to find, the third thing is this. I want you to find your resources. How much time do I have? I have a heart for foster children, children who have no father, no mother who is caring for them. This is where my heart goes. I'm going to find where they are around me. Here's my money. Here's my time. Here's what I can do. I might not have the ability right now to adopt. I might not have that. I might not be able to foster now, but what can I do? What can I do? I have a heart for the homeless. I can't buy them a home yet, but what can I do? You cannot walk out of here carrying the weight of eternal judgment over your head. You can't do it. You'd call me for counseling tomorrow morning. That's what you would do, okay? What I want you to do is understand the value of this is when you find the place that God's put in your heart that takes you outside of yourself, when you find those people around you and when you begin to put yourself around them, this is for them but it will also be for you. This will auto-correct your life. And the Gospels want you to notice something. I want you to notice in the Gospels when you read through it, who is Jesus around and who is around Jesus? You will notice that Jesus is always found around those people, the least of these. Talked about that, right? Kingdom. The ones on the bottom side of the world. The ones with less, the ones with nothing. This is where Jesus is always found. What you will find is when you put yourself in these, around these people, around these foster children, around these families with special needs, around these AIDS victims, families dealing with cancer, when you put yourself in this space, 
you will begin to encounter God in, in more powerful ways than you ever would in a worship service. We've got to keep these. It's important, right? But you're missing out. These are the things that have the power to autocorrect, to keep you connected to God, and to not let life take us away. So I want you to find your compassion. Find those people around you. And I want you to figure out what resources, what do you have to offer them? Everyone in this room has something to offer. You have time, you have attention, you have an ear, you have resources, you have money, you have gifts, you have, you have personality traits that are special, that are needed. You have something to offer them, and guess what? You need it too. Would you stand with me this morning? And so if you're in the room and you're wondering, okay, great, I get all this. But how does this connect with the prayer of salvation? When you prayed and you believed that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, this was a, a powerful idea, a difficult one to swallow. And when you confess that Jesus is Lord, meaning He is, has control, He's going to direct you, He's going to guide your life. The problem with, with someone being Lord or being king over your life is that it, it's difficult to keep them there. Yes, he might be king for a day, right? But is he king for two days, for three days, for a week, for a year, for a month? When does work become king? When does my vacation become king? When does my marriage or my children become king? When do other things become king over my moment, over my life? And the way that we stay connected to God, the way that we constantly test the water, we go to ourselves and we, okay. So we constantly check. Jesus is at work in me. His life is moving in me. God, Jesus is my Lord and King over my life when my life is being poured into others. Simple as that. When I notice myself veer, I don't need to freak out. I don't need to panic. I just need to auto-correct. And when you surround yourself with these people who are hurting, who are in need, this is the way God created to keep us in line with Him. It's the way the church used to be. This is what we're trying to get back to. But this is something we have to be conscious of. Where does your heart go? Who is the first group of people suffering that you have compassion for? Where are they close to you? And what do you have to offer them? Father, we pray this morning that you would show us this group. The beautiful thing about this is when we begin to put our, our heart and attention, our lives into people in need, we meet you there. We encounter you there. And when we feel your nearness, we don't fear judgment. We don't fear condemnation. We don't fear hell. We don't fear any of these things that have been planted in our hearts and minds. We don't fear when you're near. And we ask that you would lead us into places where you would be close to us, where we would sense you close to us. So I invite the prayer team to come on up. I don't know why I'm sharing this in the morning, but I just want to share this this morning. There's a second verse that scares me very much. It's also in Matthew. He's the best. 6 verse 14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive 
you. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know who that's for this morning, but I hope you let it sink in. Forgiveness is also one of those things like salvation. It's not words. Oh, I forgive you. You're forgiven. It's not hard to tell when someone forgives and someone doesn't forgive. Just like salvation, it shows there's fruit that comes out of your life when you've forgiven. And there's fruit that comes out when you are holding on to offense. Your life is not to be built on fear with God, but there is a place for you to have healthy fear. If you forgive when they sin against you, you will be forgiven. If you do not, you will not. Father, we, for everyone in this room who's struggling with anything, if there's a deep fear of the afterlife, of hell, of judgment, of torment, well, we ask that they would just have the courage to come receive prayer today. If there's anyone dealing with unforgiveness, they just cannot let go. They don't know how. We ask that you'd give them courage to come receive help this morning. And for all of us, we ask that you would place, allow us to focus on the group that you've placed deep in our hearts. Who is it who's hurting and suffering that we have a passion, a compassion for that you've placed in our lives? In Jesus' name, and everyone said,